Well, if you don't know who I am, my name is Tim Bedall, and I serve as lead pastor here at Village Bible Church. And I'm going to ask you to take God's Word in your hands, and I'm going to have you turn to the book of Psalms this morning. The book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 1 this morning. We're going to take a break from our series uh, in Hebrews. Uh, and the reason why is uh, we try to take a, a week off and, and to focus in on what has transpired. VBS week is an important week for us as a church. It's an important week because we gather and we we come together with all of our gifts and our abilities. Hundreds of volunteers and thousands of hours have been spent serving one another and serving the Lord. And we have heard already stories of life change, not only in the lives of kids who didn't know Jesus as their Savior, but also stories of their moms and dads being impacted by their kids coming home and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And we're going to have the opportunity in the next service to share with lots of visitors who are going to come and and see the highlights of what their kids were a part of this week and and to hear a message from God's Word on what it really means to find victory in life. And this morning, I want to focus in on the subject matter of the theme that uh, was resounding uh, around this place all week long, and that was the theme of Game On. It's the reason why we have the stadium behind me and and all of the sports themes going on throughout our church, and the, the idea of Game On, I had to look it up in Urban Dictionary, the idea of Game On is a saying that is used in athletic events, but really in all facets of life, that tell you to get ready for action, to get ready for a challenge. And the game of life is the ultimate game that is played. And whether we like it or not, at some point, at a point of of God's choosing, not our own, God said, game on. And we entered into this world, and we entered into this race that we call life. And and like any game, any uh, sport that you're a part of, it's filled with ups and downs. Sometimes you're winning, sometimes you're losing. Sometimes you're full of energy, and other times you find yourself gasping for air. And life has a way uh, of doing that. And what we need to ask is, how do we play this game of life well? How do we do it in a way that will honor God? How do we do it that we might find success and victory? Because as any competitor gets into any competition, the goal is to win. The goal is to find victory. And there's a lot of times where we find in life lots of areas of defeat. And some of the reasons why is we're trying to play this game without the greatest help of them all, Jesus Christ, who has not only played the game of life, but he did so perfectly. He did so with a great victory all throughout his life, and he accomplished everything in life that his Father in heaven wanted him to. And we want to learn from him. We want to grow from him. And God has given us a game plan. And the kids learned about this this last week, what God's game plan for life is all about. And that's found in the scriptures. And this morning, I want to turn to that game plan that God has given us, a divine game plan of how we can find success, how we can find victory in this thing that we call life. I want you to turn to Psalm 1 for uh, our morning this morning. And you can find our passage, if you don't have it, on page 448 in your pew Bible. And I want to read because Psalm 1 is a great way to learn from one of the wisest men who ever walked on the face of the earth. Psalm 1 was written by Solomon, who was uh, coined as the wisest man to have ever lived. 
uh, who struggled at times living life. But he tells us in Psalm 1 the importance of turning to God and his word and in doing so that we might find victory, that we might find blessing. And this is what he says in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, and I ask for your blessing on our time this morning, that we would truly ask the question this morning, by whose game plan are we living our lives? Lord, far too many of us, and and for far too many times in my own life, it is I who are determining the direction I will go. It's me who determines the decisions I will make. It, it's me who determines uh, what I will do or, or what uh, plans I will have. And, and Lord, the Bible makes it clear that a man has lots of plans in his heart, but many of them that seem so right lead to destruction. And your word this morning reminds us and tells us that it is your word and it is your game plan that leads us to righteousness, that leads us to blessing. And so, Lord, I, I pray for not only these people here today, but in my own life, that I would choose each and every day to live according to your word and according to your will and not my own. That I would choose today to serve you and you alone and, and not allow myself to be in competition with you. Father, I pray that you would speak to us and that we'd be changed as a result of what we've heard this morning. And it's through your son, Jesus Christ, we pray all these things. Amen and amen. Recently, I read an article in Inc. Magazine, and the title caught my mind. And and the title of the article was, Five Surprising Ways to Find Happiness. And I must have been maybe down in the dumps a little bit that day. I'm not sure what exactly caught my attention as I was reading through uh, the news feed on my phone. But I wanted to see what this author had to say about these five surprising ways that I could find happiness. And I was hoping deep down inside, that this person was going to know what they're talking about, and that as a result of it, I may be able to find it. And this is how the article started. It said this, finding happiness is without a doubt a daily struggle. We search for it endlessly through self-help books, TV shows, ice cream sundaes, or deep conversations with friends. The true keys to unlocking happiness, however, are much, more, are, are much closer than you think. And I'm like, okay, this is great. I'm going to learn what it means to be happy. I'm going to find these secrets that are going to change and revolutionize the way I live life. And so I started to read. And number one told me to not compare myself with others. Okay. Number two told me I am to listen to my inner voice. That's a little weird, but okay. Number three, it told me to love the times I'm alone and by myself. Number four, to be present 
in all things. And number five, to don't, to do things that scare you. I gotta be honest with you. After I read that article about finding happiness, it didn't resonate with me. Now these things are good and there's probably some value in understanding them, but I'm not sure what listening to my inner voice is going to do with regards to my happiness. I'm not sure time alone is exactly what I need and I'm not sure doing things that scare me are going to bring me great sources of happiness. Quite frankly, if they scare you, they probably aren't going to bring much happiness at all. And while there's some merit to these things, and I don't want to, you know, create a, a, a fight with the guy, he's written a nice article, I more agree with the book of Psalms this morning, because the book of Psalms says right off the bat in verse 1, blessed is the man. That word blessed is the Hebrew word esher, which is literally happy. Joyful, um, uh, full of, of vim and, and vigor, excited about life. The life that this man, uh, Solomon, is going to tell us about is a life that is beyond all the limits. It's a life that we all are looking for. And he says that the man is blessed when he does some things. Now, before we get to the things that this blessed man does, this happy man does, this joyful man does, we need to understand that our pursuit for happiness is many times uh, out of our reach. Happiness is something that we long for all the time. We go and we try to buy things that will win our happiness. We try to involve ourselves with people. If I just can have this person as a, as a date or, or this person as a friend, they'll make me happy. We think that possessions will do it or, or promotions will do it. If I get this role at work, I'll be happy. And it eludes us over and over again. In fact, the French statesman from a couple hundred years ago, Talleyrand, put it this way. At, at the end of his life, He said, behold, 83 years have passed away. What cares? What agitation? What anxiety? What ill will and what sad complications? This was an accomplished man. This man had seen the known world. He had traveled about. He was known. And at the end of his life, he says, it wasn't worth it. At the end of my life, it's just pain and sorrow. Happiness isn't found, he says, in this world. Well, let me give you a British philosopher slash, the, excuse me, theologian. His name was Mick Jagger, and he put it this way. I can't get no satisfaction. I try, I try, and I try, but I can't get no satisfaction. I want happiness. I want fulfillment, Mick Jagger said. And he said, in the things of this world, I can't seem to find it even though I make it the most important goal of my life. Well, the reason why Talleyrand and Mick Jagger, and I know both of them are probably wondering how could they be formed in one same sentence, why they couldn't find happiness and joy is many of the same reasons why many of us can't find happiness and joy is because we are looking for it in counterfeits that are found in this world. The Bible makes it clear, if we want to find happiness, if we want to find joy, if we want to find victory in life, it begins and it ends with a robust relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And if we don't have that robust relationship with Jesus Christ, we are going to struggle in this life finding the contentment and fulfillment that God longs for us to have. He wants us to be blessed. How many this morning, and I really want you to answer this question, how many of you this morning want to be in a place of blessing? Let's see a show of hands. Listen, if you're not raising your hand, I need to talk with you because you're in trouble. Because if you don't want happiness, if you don't want blessing, something's wrong. There's something about the human spirit that says, I long to be happy. I long to be filled with fulfillment and and joy. So how do we get there? Notice what we are told. We want to be blessed. Well, Solomon tells us, and through God's word, the Holy Spirit articulates to us, to be blessed as a man and as a woman involves a couple things. There's three that I want to look at this morning. Number one, it involves being situated properly. We've got to position ourselves this morning if we want to find happiness and find victory in this place of life. When we are out of position in any athletic event, bad things are going to happen. When we don't know where we're at in a ball game, uh, things are not going to turn out like we want them to. It's not hard to remember just in the last NBA Finals, the Cleveland Cavaliers, one of the players did not know what the score of the game was. And instead of doing something with the ball to create an opportunity for a basket, he held on to the ball thinking that the game was over. And his friend LeBron wasn't very happy with him. And see, when we're not positioned right, we're going to find ourselves struggling in this game that we call life. Well, the psalmist says we need to be positioned in the right way, right away in the text. We are told there's a T in the road. We've got to make a decision. Are we going to choose God's way? Are we going to choose the way that seems right to us? Now, the psalmist brings this decision to the forefront. He's not the first one to do it. Joshua, when he's leading the children of Israel, he says, choose this day who you're going to serve. You can serve the gods of this world, or you can serve the one true God who calls us into a relationship with him. And you and I have to make a decision this morning, what God are we going to serve? Are we going to serve ourselves, or are we going to serve the one true God who has given us his word and shown us how we can find life and godliness and contentment in him? Now, some of you will say, I did that a long time ago. Maybe it was at a VBS or it was at a church. But the Bible makes it clear this isn't a one and done thing, but it is a daily activity where we get up and we make a decision, am I going to serve self or am I going to serve my Savior? Am I going to go the way of the world schemes or am I going to follow the Scriptures and do what the Scriptures say, even though every inkling in me says to go the way of the world? Jesus put it this way. He says, choose this day um, who you're going to serve. He does it in a different way, though. He says, if anybody's going to come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross daily. Not once a month, not once a year, not once in a lifetime, but each and every day we have to make a conscious decision, how am I going to play this thing called Life, this game we call life. Now notice, when we choose to not go God's way, we find ourselves down a downward spiral. Notice what the text says. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but delights in the law of the Lord. Notice there's a contrast. 
You can go the way of the scoffers, you can go the way of the sinners, you can go the way of the counsel of the wicked, or you can choose to delight yourself in the word of the Lord. Now there's a progression that we see taking place. A progression where we begin, first of all, by flirting with the things of this world, and then at some point down the road we find ourselves sold out for it. And each of us find ourselves maybe at a different place in this progression. Notice the first thing, and you can write these down if you'd like to. The first thing that we do in this downward slope of choosing our own way instead of God's is by buying into what the world is selling. Buying into what the world is selling. Notice uh, Eugene Peterson in his paraphrase, the message uh, of this text, says, blessed is the man who doesn't hang out at sin saloon. I like that. The idea here is that you're just kind of hanging out in the place where sin life of of pride and arrogance is that. You're not participating in it, but you're hanging around people that maybe have bought into that. The idea here is that it's not all-consuming, but you're fascinated by it. You're, you're in essence, walking, and, and many Christians do this. We're walking with the Lord, and I remember when I would be walking with my children when they were younger, and we would be at a place, and I remember especially once we were at Disney World, and I was holding the hands of one of my sons, and, and I'm holding his hand. He's following me, but his attention is everywhere else. And at one point, I'm literally dragging him, going, why are you not walking with me? And the reason why is he was sold out on, on all the different things that were going on. He was distracted from what he was supposed to be doing that was walking with his dad and some of us are walking with Jesus this morning but we are distracted by the things of this world they have got our attention and we are beginning to buy what the world is selling notice it involves a second thing behaving the right way we start buying into what the world says and then we start behaving differently Peterson says in his paraphrase don't sleek around dead-end road he says listen don't sit in the seat of scoffers now we're standing at one point now we're seated we've taken a place of permanence where we're gonna not only hang out with people that live life that way and pursue the things they do but now we're gonna sit down we're gonna take up residency we're going to hang out with them in a, in a greater way. We're going to listen not only to what they say, but we're going to sit down, take our, uh, our rest for a moment, because we've started to taste what the world is offering. We've started to taste the things that the world is, is advertising and the way of life that they're telling us that we should live it. And we're liking how it tastes. Now we've just kind of, if you will, it's the cake in the refrigerator that you're told not to touch. And you know that if you just take just a little uh, frosting, nobody's really going to notice. And you put that frosting on the tip of your tongue and it's sweet and it's delicious. And you say, well, I want more. And you think, well, all I wanted was just a little taste. But, but as you begin to learn, a little taste leads to a desire and an appetite for more and more. And the world offers a lot of things. And the, what the world offers, we get a little nibble of it, and it just begins to whet our appetite. And this is what we are being told. You cannot be blessed. You cannot find fulfillment and contentment if you're hanging around with the wrong people, doing the wrong things, and if you find yourself starting to nibble on what the world is offering. 
We've got to be careful. And that means we got to be careful in who we hang out with. Notice he says, blessed is the man. Eugene Peterson puts it this way, who doesn't go to smart off college. He says, who does not sit in the seat of scoffers. So we've moved from the counsel of the wicked. We're listening to what they say. Now we're, we're kind of hanging out in the way of the wicked. And now we're sitting and we're engaged in ongoing involvement with the things of this world. We don't care what people think anymore. We don't care what our pastor might say or what our small group may say. Our inclination is, is if it feels good, do it. And what the psalmist is saying is be very, very careful that you don't find yourself becoming so involved in this world that you find yourself out of position with where God wants you. He says none of this is going to bring the blessing you're looking for. And so here's a perfect example, back to my friend Mick Jagger. He looked for all kinds of uh, fulfillment in the pleasures of this world and in the prestige of this world and in the uh, p- uh, possessions of this world. And none of it, he says with his own words, does he find satisfaction. Well, God's word says that. You are not going to be blessed. You're not going to be happy. You're not going to find fulfillment if you're doing these things. So how do you do it? How do you find fulfillment? Notice it involves being satisfied by the right things. Now we can be satisfied by all the wrong things and it will lead to destruction we will learn later in the text. But notice we need to be satisfied by the right things. Notice verse 2. No, none of these things in verse 1 are going to do it for us. But our delight, if it's in the law of the Lord, if we're meditating on it day and light, something amazing is going to take place. Now notice a couple things about the law of the Lord. First of all, the law of the Lord is God's word. You're holding it in your hands. This is God's love letter to us. This is God's guide to us. But one of the greatest things that this is, is it's God's positioning system. This last week, my family and I were traveling out in Boston, and uh, I would have been utterly lost without our GPS. Without GPS, I would have never gotten to the places that I wanted to get to. And I got to be honest with you, as a man, there were times where I fought against the GPS, where I would say, you know, it doesn't seem right. I want to go my way. And every time I would do that, not only would the GPS person say, do make a U-turn, but my wife would poke me and say, you did it again. You started following your own ways. And some of us this morning want contentment. We want fulfillment. We want happiness. And God's word is yelling out to us the the exact coordinates of where we're to go and what we are to do. And we say, I get it. I hear it. But that doesn't seem to make much sense to me. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to go the way that I think seems best. And every time that we do that, We find ourselves again wanting. We find ourselves again lost. So God's word says you need to follow God's word. And the psalmist reminds us of this truth. Our relationship in life will only go as far as our relationship with God and his word. So what does that involve? Notice a couple things. First of all, 
It involves our attention, our attention. The text tells us that he meditates or he delights in the law of the Lord and he meditates on it day and night. Well, let's notice, first of all, this idea of meditating on it day and night. The idea here is the picture of a, of a cow chewing its cud. Now, if you don't know, the reason why cows eat the way they do is because they have multiple stomachs or compartments to their stomach that they cannot eat their food and swallow it like we do and allow the digestive process to take over. I know it's kind of gross, but what happens is a cow four different times will literally regurgitate what it's already eaten and swallowed and chew on it some more so that it will finally digest itself properly. Well, that's what the Bible is telling us we need to do. We take God's word into our lives, we chew on it, and we swallow it, but then we bring it back up. And I know that's a sick picture on a Sunday morning, but it's what we are called to do. We are to chew on God's word day and night. Why? Because God's word's going to tell us how to live. God's word's going to give us examples of people who did not live that way and those who did and the blessing and the curses that came when they chose rightly or wrongly. God's word's going to promise things to us and, and remind us of truths that we need to remember. And so we need to be in God's word and it says we are to do it day and night. This idea is is that there is never a bad time for us to not be in God's word. We should always be in the word of God. We should always be focused in on what God's word says, which begs the question this morning for every Christian here today, how are you doing at living life? Well, if you're struggling in life, my question would be, how much are you involving yourself in the Word of God? How much are you uh, focused in on what God's Word is saying? I can tell you that it does not take me long when I am outside of God's Word for any amount of time to see my thoughts, my actions, my speech changing because I'm not in and meditating on the Word of God day and night. So if you want to find happiness, you want to find success in this world, you want to find the contentment and fulfillment God brings, it begins by meditating on the Word of God day and night. But notice there's an affection. So there's attention, and notice there's affection. Notice the word here is he delights in the law of the Lord. So day and night you read that and, and you think, well, it's a drudgery. It's a duty. I've got to do it. Right now our kids are involved, especially the two younger ones in, um, I forget what they call it, the summer workbooks you get that kind of fill the gap of the summertime. And um, mom will always say, okay, it's time for you to do your math. And my sons don't say, yippee, it's summer break and I get to do math. I want to be a part of this. This is so exciting. Yes, I've got a great math mom who loves me and all. No, they don't delight in it. They'll do it, but it's a drudgery. The psalmist says we need to delight in the word of God if we want to be blessed. That word delight is used three times in scripture and each time that it's used uh, outside of the psalm, it is used as a picture of a young man who has fallen in love with a young lady. And that he has delight. He's excited to spend time with this, this uh, uh, courtship that he has going on. He wants to know everything about this young lady. He wants to know her. He wants to spend time with her. 
He doesn't say, oh, I got to go on a date tonight, or I got to spend time with my new girlfriend. He counts down the hours and the moments until he will see her again. And the psalmist tells us that if we want to find success and fulfillment in life, then our attention needs to be on it. We need to dedicate ourselves to the law of the Lord, the scripture, so it will guide us in the way we should go. But also, we should find great delight in it. God has written his word to us. God has told us what it means to live life in this world. God, who sent his one and only son to die for us on the cross of Calvary, has given us all we need so that we can find true joy and fulfillment in this world. And our desire should be, I want to get in on that. I want to make sure I'm a part of it. But far too many of us, have grown tired and grown cold to God and His Word. And we've wondered why God seems far away from us. We wonder why God seems absent from the important decisions and and elements of our lives. God says we need to give attention to the Word of God, and it needs to be a part of something we long to do. Well, let's stop here for a moment, and let's ask the question, How do I fill my life? Do I fill my life listening to the world in Psalm 1 verse 1? Do I find myself walking in the counsel of the wicked? Do I find myself standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the seat of scoffers? Do I fill my time and my energy with people or things that are continually pushing me away from God and His Word? Now, that doesn't mean everything that isn't biblical is devoid of any good. But let us be reminded that the world, in many ways, seeks to entertain us, seeks to engage us in a world that is absent of God. And it longs for us, and we dedicate hours upon hours of time involving ourselves with things that are not just devoid of of God's word, but are seeking to devalue the place that God wants in our lives. And so we've got to ask the question today, how much time am I spending on the things of this world and the things of God? And we need to each do a personal evaluation. Do I delight in the things of this world more than I delight in the things of God? You see, we cannot be blessed, we cannot be joyful, we cannot be filled with happiness if we think that we're going to find it in this world. We have to find it in God and His Word. That leads us to one final point this morning, and that is we need to be submissive to God's warnings. So God and His Word is warning us. And He does this often. He will warn us, and He will say, listen, go this way, and things will go well with you. Go this way, and things won't go so well with you. The book of Proverbs is filled with truisms, true statements of, of don't do this because this will take place, but do this, and these good things will take place. In the book of Deuteronomy, in ver- uh, chapters 27 and 28, God spends all kinds of time talking to the children of Israel. And He says, this is the way if you want to live a life filled with curses. Do these things. Engage yourself in these activities. But if you want to find 
true fulfillment and peace. If you want to have a relationship with me, then blessing is found, he says in chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, in these things. Following me, loving me, pursuing me, being engaged in in life with me. And so God gives a warning. Notice the warning. He lays it all out for us in verses uh, 3 through uh, six. He says, first of all, okay, if you delight in the law of the Lord, what's going to happen? He notice, he says, he'll be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So let's stop there. And he says, okay, if you choose to go my way, here's what's going to take place. Now, I wonder if the psalmist is sitting under a beautiful tree as he's writing this, and if he's looking at this tree and using this tree as an example. But the picture is of a beautiful tree, a strong tree, a vibrant tree, a tree that doesn't struggle when when water is sparse, a tree that doesn't wither up and die, but a robust tree that is able to endure whatever the world throws its way. Why is it? Notice a couple things. It's positioned the right way. It's positioned the right way. It is planted by streams of water. As a young boy, not far from my parents' house, we had a creek where the three boys, but all boys, would spend much of their time. And one of the best places we could ever find ourselves was hanging and climbing this big, beautiful tree. And the thing that made this tree so awesome was half of the tree's roots were exposed and you saw it going down into the creek. And I would always make mention it was like little straws drinking up the creek's water. And this tree was beautiful. And the reason why is that it didn't have to always depend on rain. It had a position where it could drink water from the creek at any time that it wanted to. As Christians, we need to be positioned in the right place with God so that in the good, the bad, and ugly of life, we are positioned that we can get all that we need to prosper and grow. Now notice a couple other things. Notice that it's planted. The idea here is that it's deeply rooted. And so one of the ways that we as Christians find happiness and contentment in life isn't that our circumstances are always perfect. It isn't that the reason why we can find happiness in this world is that once you accept Jesus as your Savior, nothing bad is going to happen to you. If someone has pitched that to you, they're wrong. We're learning in the book of Hebrews that the people of God suffered greatly. But they had hope and they had peace. And there was tranquility of their souls amidst great trials because they were deeply rooted. They understood the promises of God. They understood that this was not the totality of one's life, what we spend here on this earth, but that God is preparing a place for us. And we are told that when we are planted by streams of water, we will, no matter how difficult life may be, we're going to be deeply rooted. Notice another thing. There's productivity. It yields its fruit in season. Now the psalmist says it makes what it's been created to make. A tree is to yield fruit, and it's yielding the fruit. There is vitality to it. 
It is designed to do a certain thing, and it's accomplishing that task. Some of us are unhappy right now in life because we are not doing what God has designed us to do. Instead of following the owner's manual for how we are to live life, we're doing it our own way, and we're wondering why we're a fish out of water. But when we follow God's word and we allow and invite God into our lives, we begin to produce like we're supposed to. God gives us gifts and we're able to use them. One of the great joys of a pastor this week is to watch people who have never served before serving in VBS and seeing the joy that it is to serve not only God, but other people. We heard from, from some individuals via email that I've not been very involved at the church and this last week changed my life. That's the productivity that God is wanting to create in us when we serve him and serve others. Notice finally, uh, there's a perseverance. The leaf does not wither. And what this is talking about is this tree at times is going to endure droughts. It's going to endure adverse uh, circumstances. And in those moments, it's not going to wilt under the sun. Uh, I learned this very uh, recently uh, when my wife was diagnosed with cancer. And I would have thought, bad news, 39 years old, diagnosed with cancer, Amanda would wilt underneath that. But she's a tree firmly planted. She's a tree that's getting her sustenance, not from the circumstances of this world, but from God. And when the cancer diagnosis came, she didn't wilt, she bloomed. And that doesn't make any sense from a worldly standpoint. But it does when we understand that we are in the palm of God's hand. And God will not allow anything to happen without his ex express written consent, if you will. So trials come, and we don't w will wilt or, or wither. We persevere. And we're learning that through the book of Hebrews. How men and women, with the world against them, don't wither and fall apart. But they are productive, and they grow. Notice finally, if this doesn't help you with all of it, then surely this last phrase, well, when you go God's way, in all that you do, you'll prosper. Now again, that doesn't mean you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise all the days of your life, but what it means is you're going to accomplish exactly what God has for you. And God's going to allow you to accomplish the things that he has designed you to accomplish. He's going to use you the way he created you to be. Now that's what will happen when we follow God's ways. But notice the warning is not just positive, it's negative. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. That literally they're here today and they're gone tomorrow. The wicked cannot stand in the judgment. They can't stand in the presence of God. Sinners can't stand in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So you have this beautiful picture of a tree, firmly rooted, planted by streams of water, prospering and vital in all its ways. And then we've got the chaff of the wheat being blown away. Here today, gone tomorrow. We see that they are going to find themselves in a place of destruction. Oh, they'll live and enjoy their life. It'll be a short life. It'll be a short season. But at some point, the great warning of Scripture says... That there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end leads 
to destruction. In the most clearest way that I can communicate this this morning, what God is saying is you can do it His way, and He will bless you. You can do it His way, and He will use you as He has created you to be used in a way that will bring you fulfillment and joy. Or you can go your own way, and you can live life on your terms, doing what makes you feel good. And the Bible makes it clear that there will be a moment in time where it will be too late to change your mind. And in the end, you will be consigned to a place that Jesus calls hell. And he doesn't talk about it as a place of prospering. He doesn't talk about it as a place of vitality. He describes it as a place of burning garbage. And he says in that place there is only one emotion, weeping and the gnashing of teeth, turmoil and pain. And the question is this morning, it is all determined on how you will live your life. So the question is, how will you live this life? Are you going to say, game on, I'm going to do it my way? Because if I do it my way, I get all the glory. If I do it my way, I become the MVP. If I do it my way, then I get to determine the rules of the game. Well, go that way. And the psalmist says, it will lead to destruction. It will lead to you perishing. But God's word says throughout it, choose me, follow me, obey me. And in doing so, I will give you the desires of your heart. If you choose to obey me and choose to follow me, then I will receive you. I will bring you into my family. I will fill you with my spirit. I will give you all that you need for life and godliness. You will fulfill the purposes that I have for you. You won't be able to serve yourself, but you'll serve me and you'll serve others. But in the end, you will be filled with vitality. You will grow. And in the end, there will be a place where I will receive you, God says. I'll receive you to be with me forever in a place called heaven, in a place of perfection, in a place of God's glory. But here's the thing, and I'll close with this. That kind of life means you're not the MVP. That kind of life means you don't get the glory. That kind of life says it's not about you. It's all about God. It's all about the God who saves us. It's all about the God who has created us. It's all about the God who fills us. And so a choice needs to be made this morning by every man, woman, and child. The choice is, am I going to live this game of life with God as the one who is most important or me? And I want you to know that the Bible says... We've only got this life to live, and once it's over, and we never know when it's going to be done. Some of us think we'll live to be old and and gray, but we are reminded far too often that that's not always the case, and we are told that it's appointed for man to die once, and then comes judgment. And the problem is when we live for self, the text tells us we cannot stand in God's judgment because we're guilty. So what will you decide this morning? Game on. Are you going to live for self or are you going to live for your Savior, Jesus Christ? The decision's up to you.